Good morning. It is a great privilege always to be here with you and stand in front and give you God's Word and remember what we sang a couple songs back. Word of God, speak to me. That's my prayer as a preacher, pastor, that I'd be able to give you the Word of God that would speak to your heart. I want you to work with me here. I'm not going to be sitting in judgment over you, but just for a few seconds here at the beginning of the sermon, I want you to just raise your hand if, if this is you, okay? Do you watch more than a couple hours TV in a week, period? Just kind of raise your hand, okay? Of that time that you watch TV, do you watch any Netflix series? Uh, raise your hand, okay? That's about half of the ones, maybe a little more. Uh, how about reality shows where they are living their lives and then they kind of go to interviews with them in between? Okay, less of you there, all right? One of my concerns, you, you got to know that I, we, we watch a couple hours a week or more of that, all everything I mentioned, but for a pastor, it's like drives you absolutely crazy because these people are on the screen demonstrating most of the time how not to live or resolve conflict. And uh, some of it's very well written and very well crafted, and it, it guides our minds and hearts on what to think. And it, it just, and when I, to stand up here and think, I get 20 to 30 minutes to talk to you on a Sunday, and you get three or four hours or more a week to let them teach you and shape your mind. It, it just feels like you're running against a herd coming toward you. But I say that as an introduction to beg you to let what I'm about to teach you again, and most of, I say again because most of you know this and you've heard it from Jeremiah, that you let it be much bigger than the quantity of, of media that you've taken in, this last week even. This is a super-duper lesson from God's man, Jeremiah and God, on how to handle life and handle hurts when they come in life and what to do about it, and it's really doing something big about it. And if you'll just walk with me slowly through it, it'll be a, a help for you to work through stuff, not the way they do it in the atheistic, godless shows you watch that they can't bear to even say the name G-O-D. Every cuss word's okay, but except, okay, I'm getting off my hobby horse, except for God, and they can't say that. We're here to tell you what God says to do when you're hurt. He's watching over your life, and He sees you get hurt even when you get hurt for doing the right thing. He's seeing that, and you know that, and it's a test to your faith, and I'm here to encourage your faith that the God who's watching over you has something he wants you to do with it. He saw this all coming when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and here we are. So you got to transport yourself back in a minute to the Old Testament to a guy who lived 600 years before Christ named Jeremiah, who suffered for doing the right thing. Now, real quickly, just to get you into it, I want to give you an example from real life from an extended a member of my extended family. My daughter-in-law teaches sixth grade math, and she is the leader of middle grade, middle school cheerleaders. Uh, not because she loves cheer, but because she loves her job and she loves kids, and so she does that. One of the kids and girls in her cheerleading squad. It was a very quiet-natured girl, didn't say much throughout the first few weeks of cheerleading, actually had come, this is her second year, and on a Friday afternoon, after cheer was all over, as my daughter-in-law was leaving the school parking lot, this is a true story, happened just four weeks ago, 
a, a, a big SUV pulls up behind her car and blocks her in, and a, a lady twice my daughter-in-law's size jumps out and starts shouting at her in words I won't say here, and says to her, if my daughter comes home crying one more time from cheerleading, I'm going to, and you can imagine how she said it, but she said, I'm going to beat you up. And my daughter-in-law said, we can make an appointment to sit with the principal and you and your daughter and we'll resolve. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to beat you. I'm just telling you, this is the way we're going to handle it. I'm going to beat you up over and over and again, except it was different words. And finally, she got in her car and left. Doing the right thing. Teaching kids. She said, I have no idea what she was talking about because I've never seen her little girl upset in cheerleading. I didn't know that there was a problem. I didn't know that I was part of the problem. That's life, isn't it? That's real life. You can imagine the thoughts and the hurts and the feelings going on after a traumatic event like that? Well, you probably have somewhere in your lifetime. And maybe it's less dramatic, maybe it's a little more dramatic, but you've been hurt for doing the right thing. Maybe it's telling your peer group in high school, college, middle school, you're not going to do that thing that they're doing, and then you get rejected. Maybe it's in your job, you're not going to lie for someone or lie for a friend or a family member, and you get rejected or demoted or fired. But you were doing the right thing. And it just feels so messed up, so unfair that you're doing the right thing, and life seems completely out of whack when that happens. And it's a test of your faith. Well, that's Jeremiah. That was my daughter-in-law. And Jeremiah was sent to Israel to preach to them that they had gotten so far off track that they had been practicing idolatry and immorality and breaking every commandment that God had given them as his nation, Israel. And he told them, God is going to send the Babylonians and, and you, you need to repent. That's the only way out of this. And if you don't, he's sending them and they are going to burn our temple, trash our city and kill a lot of people and haul a bunch more off. And other prophets saying they spoke in the same name of the Lord said, oh, he's just down on our nation. He's just not politically correct. Don't listen to him. And the officials didn't like it that every time he spoke, so many people started to feel scared and down that they started letting some of their underlings threaten Josh Jeremiah. And they had a plot to kill him. And he didn't know about that plot for a long time, but then it came God came and told him, there is a plot to kill, your, kill you in his, in, among the leaders of Israel. And this is his response. He's doing the right thing for God, and he's, gonna, he's experiencing pain and sorrow and fear of death because of it, and this is his response. Let's read that. I'll read it. Because the Lord revealed to me their plot, I knew it. In other words, I didn't know it on my own. Nobody told me. For at that time, he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted anything against me. This is what they were saying. Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living. And this, his name will be remembered no more. It's hard to read an ancient text like this and to really just by reading it, show you the emotions. But I want to try to unpack this. Jeremiah is saying, 
I was completely caught off guard when God came to me and told me this. In fact, I started to look at the situation after God told me they plotted to take, kill, my, kill me, take my life. And he said, I felt like I was like a lamb that we lead over to the tree by the rabbi who's about to slit its throat and hang it up so that we can eat it as a family. He has no idea that he's about to die. And he's following us along just as trusting as he always has. And he says, I feel like that lamb because I was just following along, doing the right thing, and yet it was going to be my death. See, he's processing it on the the, the gravity of the situation. So often, and this is a good thing, by the way, although it's hard. So often, we go from situation to reaction. It'll especially happen in our families. We feel like we're getting criticized for doing the right thing. We'll immediately go into action to get control and be, enter that argument full force. When we haven't even processed really what's happening. And so often we'll share a piece of our mind in the situation that we can't afford to share. And there's a lot of other ways that we make mistakes. Sometimes we just run because it feels like hurts we've had in the past. So we just shut down and we run away. Whatever it is, though, we are supposed to look at the situation and find out what is it really that's happening to me and what do I really feel about it? What do you hear in Jeremiah's words? Embarrassment, fear, frustration, a sense of being violated by these people because he's doing the Lord's will and maybe even a little doubt in God's goodness because God's letting him be led like a lamb to the slaughter. All of that's there. And he writes it down. This is a prophet. So imagine, he's writing this down so we can hear the story. Because he's processing through it. So that's what I'm saying is step back. And when you do that, when you do that, you're letting God decide whether he's going to exercise justice or mercy. After he'd processed, look at how Jeremiah prayed. That's, that's the verse on the slide. It's in the verse 20. It's on the yellow insert. It's from chapter 11 of Jeremiah, verse 20. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Jeremiah understood something about prayer that I want all of us here to get. Prayer is an honest talk with God about your real feelings about the reality show that you're living. When you are being hurt for doing the right thing and you have that sense of violation, you don't have to repent of being so upset. You're upset for a really good reason. You're doing the right thing and you're getting in trouble for it. You're having problems because of it. Jeremiah says to God, what? Did you see the word? You don't want to say it. Get vengeance on them. He's talking about, Lord, take it out on them. Get them back. You might think, well, you know, don't tell me it's okay to be that way. It's not okay to be that way. Well, it's okay to pray that way. Everyone knows there's a right and wrong. We have a sense of being violated when we really have been. And it's wrong to be wronged. And you've got to have something you can do with that that's healthy. 
And the one thing as a Christian who believes in a God who's listening that we need to do is to give it to God in prayer, to talk to Him. Jeremiah understood that. What God did with it, with justice or mercy, is His own deal. But Jeremiah had to give it to Him. You have to know that you're giving it away to God. So, so often, we will think or we'll talk to people that are thinking this way. They'll say, I pray about it all the time, but it just doesn't do any good. I'm still way stressed out. I have no, and, and I can't, and, and nothing's changing. Because they feel like prayer is a, a means by which you twist God's arm to do what you want done. Remember how we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done? Prayer is giving it to God, but letting Him do His will, knowing that He's watching over every life, the life of the offender and the offended one. And so you let Him be sovereign. And he can practice justice or mercy, but you can tell him, I want justice. Because that's what you're feeling. Have you heard about this fancy word, imprecatory? Probably not. You'll probably forget it too. That's okay. We call the Psalms that where David and others cry out for this kind of thing that Solomon, I mean, that Jeremiah cries out for. We call them the imprecatory psalms. It means to call down God's judgment on sin. There's some pretty amazing imprecatory phrases in the psalms. David says in one of his psalms, The people that are wicked, Lord, I hate them with a perfect hatred. You don't even let your kids say that word. And David said it to God in prayer. Because David, like Jeremiah, knew that he could take his concerns about being violated, being wrong to God in prayer. When you take it to God in prayer, though, this is the thing. You get relief in your soul if you really are giving it to Him. I told you about it. I gave it to you. I asked you to do justice. Now I'm going to let you take care of it. Remember, Another example is Mary at the wedding at Cana says they have no more wine. She gets rebuked for saying it, but she gave it to God in prayer. Her son is God. And, he's, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. See? The Apostle Paul was unjustly imprisoned in the New Testament era. In the book of Philippians, he teaches us about stress and getting rid of stress through prayer. This is what he says. In all situations, don't be anxious. This is chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 of his letter to the Philippians. While Paul's in prison in Rome. In all situations, do not be anxious. Instead, with thanksgiving, give your prayer request to God as a petition. And then the peace of God will come over your soul. It's always fun to, to listen to a Christian tell his or her story when they tell you about how they learned the secret of letting go. They gave it to God in prayer, and they let go. Their anxieties, their angst, they're upset because of, of injustices. That's what uh, Jeremiah does. Give it to God in prayer. Now, that doesn't mean, once you let it, give it to Him, and He gives you the peace that passes understanding, that if there's something you can do, that you don't do it. For instance, our daughter-in-law called her principal right away who said, we've had on record this same kind of behavior from this same kind of parent, so we are calling the, the police department and we're going to get a restraining order before the weekend is out. And now we're going to put in a safety measure where you're always going to be walked out after school and practice every day. 
you do what you can, right? And things are going well. That, I know you don't like to hear stories and then not hear the end of the story. She's protected, she's safe, and things are going well. But, we, but you've got to be able to give it to God in prayer while you're doing that, right? Because otherwise, you're still dealing with the inner conflict of something to be a total mess and it wrecks your faith life. Because if you're really God and you're really watching over my life and you're really good and you really love me, why is all this happening? And he says, give it to me in prayer and let me work it out. When you do that, that's when you free God up to help you deal with the uncertainties that come out of being hurt for doing the right thing. When you give it to him in prayer, then you can just work on with him, figuring out what am I supposed to think and feel about this whole thing. One thing is I'm not supposed to try to fix it because I just gave it to God. If he wants to practice justice right now, he can, or mercy for the perpetrator, he can right now. Now, while you process it, let's talk about that. So what God has done about every hurt you will ever experience, this is to help you process I've been hurt like Jeremiah was. God has already exercised justice on Jesus for your perpetrator. This is something the Old Testament Christ believers like Jeremiah didn't have the full story on. This is why Jesus said the, the smallest in the kingdom of the New Testament is greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet. Jesus said that. He said because the knowledge you have in that number one, God has already exercised justice by punishing Jesus for the person that hurt you. See, while you and I are praying the imprecatory thoughts we have, right? God, get justice on them. God says, I did. I punished my son for them. And I know, because I know me, I know that sometimes you don't want to admit it, but you're like Jonah, another prophet, who sat out under a tree when God had mercy on a whole city of bad people, in his mind, Nineveh. And he said, I knew you weren't going to punish them if they repented. I knew you would let them go on living their lives. And I don't like it that you're that way. Oh, Jonah. And if you're Jonah, oh, are you a Christ-centered person? Are you a Christian? You see, when Jesus, when you're trying to process being offended, when Jesus enters your thoughts, not a little bitty Jesus running around like a microscopic little person in your heart, but a big Jesus with scars and a wounded side for all of humanity, and he walks into your thoughts and he says, I died for them. Then you see the situation in a whole new light. When you're asking for justice. God punished Christ in their place. Just like he punished Christ in your place, my friend. Because you heard Chad up here when he was talking to the kids. He said, you're not always the one that's the victim, are you? Sometimes you're the one that's done the wrong. Or been neglectful. And Christ was punished for you too. He was punished for everybody. So as you process it, remember, when you're begging for justice, God's already paid the justice, and it was cost Him the greatest price. The Holy Son of God, who never was the offender, took it for all of us. God has already made 
plans on how to work this offense out for your good. See, here's the thing, um, and I'm, I, am, I am not that athletic. I know that's not a secret to any of you, <laughs> okay? One of the things that always drives me crazy is the hard work that people who coach, whether it's CG Fit for old people like me, or it's a football or basketball or a little kid's soccer team, is that coaches run the players, the people, through rigors. And at the time that you're introduced to the new rigors, you think they're so mean. Right? That's a mean trainer. Right, Denise? It's a mean person. It's a mean coach. It's a mean God who would let me hurt to train me. What a mean God. Really? Well, you sat and watched while Joseph got trained when you read your Bible and you rejoiced in how God trained Joseph and David with Saul chasing him and Abraham waiting 25 years to have a baby and and, uh, Moses having to be in the wilderness for 40 years with a family and then 40 years with the grouchy people. And you go, oh, what great training God did, but he puts you to a little training and it's like, no way! God's working it out for your good. And it's so multifaceted, a preacher like me can't stand up here and tell you all the good he's working out. But do you remember Old Testament Joseph? Much of that was not just to train him, but it was to position him to be second in command and bless millions of people with the, the saving them from a drought, a famine. God's working out good in that little story where somebody hurt you, and it's good for you, and it's good for others. So he punished Jesus in your place as you process this, and he's working something good in your life. And what's the one John 3.16 type verse about working out good in your life that we all know? What is it? Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, come on, say it, you're God's people. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose, even if it's in your family through your spouse or your kids or in your neighborhood through your neighbor or your job or your church or your whatever, your world, your nation, your president. God is working good. God has promised to work his plan for the perpetrator's good as well. See, this is the thing we forget. That person that hurt you, God wants them enlightened repentant and saved and it's a pleasure and a treasure that they hurt you because you have the light of the unconditional love of Christ that you can share with them that can get break through the wall of their hard heart do you understand what I'm saying so often we're so busy being hurt and silly selfish children about the hurt We don't realize that they're enough of a thinking person often that if they recognize that we came back with love in the face of their wrong, that that would have an impact on them. It's like, whoa, I know that I did said such and such, but they came back with such love and such grace that you become the one who helps convert them. 
And that was God choosing that you would be that one. Even if you want to say, well, I know this person, they'll never change. And I don't, I, no, God, you're, you're, not, you're not on the right track there. I'm not going to be the unconditional loving person because it ain't going to work. Who do you think you are to tell God something like that in your heart? You've given it to him in prayer. Now walk the walk and talk the talk of Jesus Christ. You celebrate when Jesus is on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. This is your chance to be Jesus. Think of how powerful that is for you that he said that. It will be powerful for those people too. Not maybe instantly, microwave Americans. It might take a while. They might have to slow cook. But leave it to God and trust Him with it. We get surprised when a fiery trial comes to us. Do you remember how surprised Peter was? Remember how Peter walked, when they were headed towards Jerusalem, what did he tell Jesus? Ah, this should never happen to you, right? And much less should it happen to us who happen to be your friends, right? And then what happened? They arrested Jesus, and then Peter gets on the hot seat, and they're asking him, oh, aren't you one of his disciples? And what does he do? He is so surprised that he's about to get drug into this thing. I don't know. I don't even know the guy. Uh-uh. No, I'm not being part of that. Right? He's surprised of the price it would cost him to do the right thing in a sinful world and to align himself with Jesus until later. And everything happens, and Jesus brings him back, and he makes Peter into this mature Christian, and he writes this beautiful letter. The entire letter of 1 Peter is to suffering Christians. It's taking Jeremiah's little passage and expanding it into five chapters. But this one reading, and it's not printed out for you, so let's read it off the screen, okay? Let's read it together. shows you not to be surprised. Instead, to be a champion for the light when you are being offended. Let's read it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may overjoyed His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit and glory and of God rests on you. God says the spirit and the glory of Christ rests on you. You've been chosen to be a light for grace. Wear it with honor and love that person big. Love them big. So what do you do when you suffer for doing right? This is a summary. Go, to, go, go ahead, Peter. You give it all to God in prayer. Give it up to him. And secondly, you exploit it. You learn to exploit the situation as a witnessing opportunity, not be buried by it and sulking and running or fighting. You make it a witnessing opportunity. You've given it to God in prayer and you witness about it. Final encouragement. Great suffering leads to great stories. Remember how we started and I was asking you about how much TV you watched? This is something, since the dawn of the, the uh, media that we have in America and the world, television, movies, this is something that's rather new in humanity. 
we get, we get lulled into thinking that really living is learning to sit on the sideline and watch other people live life in a dramatic way. And we, we actually want to pull ourselves out of the painful, difficult, challenging, and exciting, and powerful drama of life while we sit and watch. We just would, it's safer that way, right? And we get lulled into thinking that's what it means to live. Actually, every person in here, God is writing a great story that He wants to write. Not in comparison to other people's stories, but in comparison to what it would otherwise be if you got your way to sit on the sideline. He is writing a great story. And His great story is the suffering you have in your life when you suffer as a Christian leads to a great story. And that great story leads to a great testimony. Because then you have a testimony of God's love and truth and grace in your great story. And while you're trying to sit back and avoid all that, you're not cooperating with the holy God who created you to live, to be, and to be involved in the community and be in the soup with everybody else. So get off the couch and get into the story and deal with those situations that you may have otherwise avoided and say the things Jeremiah said that you need to say to help somebody else, even if it's going to cost you a little bit maybe at first because you are part of a great story. And as you have a consistent, unconditional love, your great testimony will come out more and more. And then third, Peter... Great testimonies lead to great salvation of other people because you amplify it by putting your own skin on it. You amplify the truth of God's love because you are totally invested in it by the way you live your life. Wouldn't it be so much more fun? Yeah. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if you lose your life, you will find it. But if you try to save it, you will lose it. When I was a kid, my dad graduated from UT. And we went and watched another, there was another family at church that graduated from, dad graduated from UT. And so every Saturday, these two families, for a little while, we'd watch the UT game if we could find it on television, back when there were four stations for everybody. I can remember at halftime, the kids, the boys in the family would go out to the front yard because we saw all the excitement in the house, you know, cheering and whatever. And we'd try to live out football in the front yard did you know we never really ever got back to watch the second half my parents did my dads did our dads did they were in there watching it but we were out in so enthralled in the little bitty touchdowns and whatever we did out in the front yard we didn't care about that game anymore because we the game inspired us to what to live it when you see jeremiah when you think of joseph when you think of uh, these, these greats in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, they're inspiring you to get out and live it. And that's what it means to really live. And that's what it means to put skin on it to save other souls. Let's pray. God, we get so bent out of shape when we suffer for doing the right thing that we get confused. And you've, you've kind of pulled back the shades today and you've showed us that actually that's what it means to be a Christian in this world and to live for doing the right thing.
by your Holy Spirit, take my meager words that are about your word and you refile it for everybody's heart here and drive it home the way you want to by your Holy Spirit. So we learn that we don't have to be victims. We've got somebody like you we can tell it to and let go and let you take care of it. And we also have something really wonderful that we can do with it by cooperating with your gospel. Help us, Lord Jesus, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.